This Sunday, we want to spend some time talking about, I think, where God has us going as a church in this coming year. And so I want to start by sharing a story with you. When I was young, I have no reason, no understanding as to why this happened, but I got it in my head that I wanted to plant a garden in my backyard. And when I brought this up to my parents, they were confused and confounded because, one, I have no interest in gardening, and two, I'd never done it. And three, there was no land in our backyard. We had a swimming pool. We were blessed with a swimming pool. Uh, but because we had a swimming pool, there was no place for a garden to happen. Uh, my great uncle was over for some reason at our house, and I told him about what I wanted. And he basically went to bat for me and basically forced my parents to allow me to sow a garden in this piece of land on the other side of the swimming pool, this little strip of land. And so we went to the greenhouse and we bought all of these uh, seeds or starter plants and I planted tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers because we had a chain link fence that they could grow up and cantaloupes and these melons and things. And man, I, I was so attentive to them. I watered them and I cared for them for like a week. <laughs> and everything that my parents knew was true of me was true. However, do you know that there was a bountiful harvest for my one and only ever garden? We, we, we reaped so many cucumbers and so many tomatoes and so many peppers and even cantaloupes and the honeydew. And, and they would grow for years to come by being replenished. And I don't know if it's because they caught enough of the chlorine water from the pool that kept them growing or what it was, but it was this miraculous harvest of my garden. Uh, I say this to give you the understanding that sometimes we need to look for a miraculous harvest, and oftentimes we're not the best farmers, right? And so this morning we want to look at a very famous parable that Jesus told. It's the parable of the mustard seed. It's in Matthew chapter 13, and it's in verse 31. It's really brief, so if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. I'm happy to read it for all of us. It's Matthew 13, and it's verse 31. It says, Jesus told them, this is a large group who had gathered by the sea to hear Jesus, another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man sows in the ground. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, it becomes the largest of the garden plants. It even becomes a tree where the birds come and perch and nest in its branches. Church, I want to suggest three things this morning about the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you my sermon in a nutshell, in case you don't want to listen to the rest. The first is that the kingdom of God is divinely enabled. It's divinely enabled. It's totally like my garden, right? The second thing is that the kingdom of God is meant to be a blessing to the world. It's meant to be a blessing to the world. And the third thing is the kingdom of God is about the infusion of the seed into the ground. It's about the infusion of his people into the soil of the world, right? Divinely enabled, meant to be a blessing. It's about infusion. So here we go. Kingdom of God is a divinely enabled reality. I mean, we, we look at this, this parable and we know from the beginning basically what Jesus is trying to say. Right? He says it's the smallest of all seeds and it grows into the largest 
of garden plants. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, you know that they are quite small. And if you've ever seen a mustard bush at its full growth, you know that it's, it's a big old shrub, right? Now, many people have argued with this parable and said, well, this can't be true because we've proven that there are smaller seeds and we've proven that there are bigger trees. We know, of course, we know, right? You've been, you've been to California either physically or you've seen it in the books, the sequoias and the redwoods. You know they're bigger than a mustard tree, right? I'm not breaking any, any brand new news to anyone here. Jesus is telling a story. He's illustrating a point, right? And so maybe even more than being so literal about the smallest to the biggest, what he's trying to give us, I think, is an imagery of what the kingdom is like. That imagery really is the main point of what's happening here. And what I want to suggest to you, the imagery is, is that the kingdom of God takes the improbable and it makes it undeniable. The kingdom of God begins improbably, and it ends in undeniable fashion, or it establishes itself in undeniable fashion. Now, if you were with us last week, we concluded our Advent series. We talked about repenting for the kingdom of God is at hand, and we spoke about what the kingdom of God is, that it is the, the, the right of Jesus to rule, the right of Jesus to govern. Uh, and it's this idea that those who follow him are part of his kingdom because they submit to his leadership, right? And so Jesus is basically saying, this is going to start real small with a seed buried, right? You know where I'm going already, don't you? And then it's going to, it's going to bloom into something more than anyone could have imagined. And friends, this is what history has proven to be true about the kingdom of God. We know that the original mustard seed was Jesus himself. A seed buried into the ground so that from him all kinds of life could be produced. That in Jesus we have a crucified man, even better said a crucified insurgent, right? The Romans didn't just crucify people because they didn't like them. They crucified people because they saw them as a threat to their rule. say kingdom language, you know? And so even the thieves on the cross when Jesus is there, thieves really isn't the best way to understand them. They were revolters. They were were insurrectionists to the Roman authority. They weren't caught shoplifting and put on a cross. They were caught trying to lead rebellion or participate in rebellion to the Roman authorities. And so Jesus dies in this way because what they want to demonstrate to all the people is, hey, if you want to revolt against the world against the Roman authority, here's what's going to happen to you. They want to put down all rebellions by, in, in a very figurative, very symbolic way, putting down a single rebellion. Does that make sense? So in Jesus, we have the improbable, right? A Jewish rabbi, a convicted insurrectionist, crucified, dead and buried. But the improbable becomes undeniable, when he becomes a resurrected Lord and Savior. This is the kingdom. Jesus calls to himself who? Tax collectors and fishermen. Not the best of society, right? And it's not at their own. Well, the tax collectors, it was some of their own choices. The fishermen, they just kind of were who they were. They weren't the elite. They kind of were the guys who didn't get straight A's in Hebrew school, and so they couldn't follow the rabbi, so they had to make a living, and they, they studied what their dad did. You know? Jesus said, no, these are my kind of people. 
And so the improbable, right? Tax collectors and fishermen. Are you going to lead a rebellion with these people? I think not. The tax collectors are, are subordinate to the Roman authorities to begin with. And these men become the fathers of the church. Undeniable. What about the Apostle Paul, who starts as Saul? He's a fierce and tenacious persecutor of the church. He wants to single-handedly snuff out this whole kingdom movement. He becomes the most prolific apostle and proponent of the kingdom itself. Improbable becomes undeniable. In the story, in the book of Acts, we have a church which is being fiercely persecuted at every step. An improbable thing to survive. And yet it becomes the greatest missionary force of the day. Improbable becomes undeniable. Fast forward into history. A man who I love and respect, uh, and who I I named uh, Jackson after. Jackson's middle name is Luther. Is a man named Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a lawyer who just wanted to make his dad proud of him. <laughs> and he couldn't do anything to make his dad proud of him. His dad was, was mean and hard on him. And so he's studying to be a lawyer to make his dad proud, and, and he got caught in the middle of a field as a fierce thunderstorm rolled through. And as the thunderstorm rolled through, a terrified Martin Luther uh, hid down as best he could and said to God, if you save me, I'll serve you. Right? We hear stories of this throughout history, right? And so we have basically this man who then, because he saved a little bit later, begins to feel guilty about the promise he made to God. And so he, he leaves his legal studies behind and enters a monastery. He becomes a monk. Right? Begrudgingly. He doesn't want to do it. He knows he made a promise he's got to fulfill. And from this begrudging monk becomes a Reformation catalyst who reminds the church that it's about what God has done for us, not what we can do to earn God's favor. This is the kingdom of the mustard seed. Do you see it? Improbable becomes undeniable. What about in our modern day? Think about the underground church in places around the world. It is an improbable reality. There are fierce dictators, uh, systems of government that don't want that to happen. They're going to snuff it out. And do you know where the kingdom of God is growing most prominently? It's in those places, right? Because the parable of the mustard seed is true. Where the improbable is, it becomes undeniable. This is the imagery of the kingdom of God. And if, as if to put an exclamation point on the whole thing, Jesus chooses a mustard plant. And this is fascinating to me in all kinds of ways. Right? He chooses a mustard plant. Not the tallest of all trees. He doesn't choose some, some giant tree. He chooses a mustard plant because he wants to make an illustration. When he says about the mustard plant, did you catch this? Is that, that the birds come and they nest on the branches. Well, birds would never nest in a mustard bush. The branches weren't suitable. It didn't happen. This isn't a reality that's normal. And so what Jesus is actually doing is showing us just how divinely enabled this mustard bush of the kingdom is. That it's actually much stronger, much more deeply rooted, much richer 
than any mustard bush that exists. It's this unbelievable, improbable, yet undeniable reality of the kingdom of God. Second thing I think we learn about the kingdom of God from this story is that it's meant to be a blessing to the world. I want to to look a little bit deeper at this, this phrase, this statement that the birds, they come and they nest in the bushes. Now, if you've spent any time here at all, you've probably heard me speak about birds in a negative context. I don't like them, and I don't like them because they first didn't like me, right? So the Bible tells us that we love because God loves us first. I hate birds because the birds hated me first, right? You've heard me tell the story, right? Birds were always nice and flying around. And one day I was sitting at my computer in an old house that didn't have screens, and I had the window open, and a bird kamikaze me right in the side of the head. This is a true story. They knocked me right out of my seat at my computer, flew right into the side of my head, and from this point on, birds and I, we just, we don't get along. <laughs> They're not my favorite creatures. Uh, it's why, incidentally, in another parable, I think Jesus and I see eye to eye on birds, because he says, hey, the farmer sows the seeds, and the birds, which are evil, come and take them away. So it sounds right, you know? It sounds right. But here the birds are in good connotation. It says this mustard bush is going to have branches that the birds can come and nest on. They can, they can have livelihood in this thing that's having livelihood. And if you, if you kind of read back into the Old Testament about some of this imagery, you find out that, that this is kind of speaks of God's intended kingdom. In Psalm 84, uh, the psalmist famously says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. And one of the sub-points to how lovely his dwelling place is, is that even the swallows and the sparrows are cared for and have places to nest. Fascinating. And in Psalm 104, it says that God provides the waters from which all of the animals can drink and be nourished, and that also the birds can nest along the waters, and they can sing in the branches. So what imagery, you tell me, about birds and branches is Jesus conjuring up in this parable? He's saying that what's going to happen in the kingdom is not just the explosive, uh, improbable to undeniable growth of the move of the kingdom of God, but it's also going to become a bastion for things to come and receive care and protection and to live and to have vitality and to nest. Right? And Jesus is basically saying then that in the same way He sought out to care for all of creation, even the birds, so the people of God, the kingdom that rises, is going to be done so in in part so that it can care for the world. So that it can be a place of protection and care and sustenance and vitality for this world. And this shouldn't surprise us, because from the beginning of time, God has been establishing covenants with his people that go like this. I'm going to bless you abundantly, so that you can be a blessing to the world. He says this to Abraham, and he repeats it time after time after time. It's why when God creates man and woman, he says to them, now have dominion over the world, right? We think of dominion sort of in our modernistic dictatorial schema, right? Oh, I have dominion, I'll do what I want. 
But we forget the Old Testament imagery of God as God as a gardener, a vine dresser, who carefully tends to all these things to make sure they're well cared for. And so when he says to Adam and to Eve that you'll have dominion over these things, he's certainly saying you rank above them. But he's also saying you're going to care for them. You're not going to be harsh on them. You're going to, you're going to take care of this reality. It's the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. And it's the very thing that Jesus is saying here. Hey, I'm doing a new thing. This kingdom's going to happen. I'm going to be the first one in the ground. And something undeniable is going to happen out of my improbable work on the cross. But I want you to know it's not only going to be for your vitality as a big mustard bush. It's also going to be so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. Third thing I think is true about the kingdom of God is that it's about infusion. Jesus is very careful in how he chooses his imagery. He chooses a seed and not a conquering army. If I was writing this story, and you all know if I was writing this story, it would be a mess, but if I was writing this story, I would choose the imagery of a conquering army, right? Hey, the kingdom of God is going to come in here, it's going to march, and it's going to win. You know, it's going to be a, a battle, and, and it's going to win. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a trouncing. I was at, at my son Tyler's basketball game yesterday, and uh, Ty's a tall kid for age 10, uh, and he's got a lot of kids on his team that are his height. And the team they played against were all up to, like, their belly buttons, you know? And so the final score <laughs> was a lot to a little. Um, if I was writing the story about what the kingdom of God was like, I'd write that story, you know? Jesus doesn't choose that imagery. It's not a conquering army. It's not this huge thing. It's, it's a seed that gets buried in the ground, right? And is basically forgotten about for a little while. And it's fascinating to me. Do you know in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 31 and Daniel chapter 4, there's imageries of the nations of the world. And these nations of the world, do you know what they do? They provide branches where the birds can nest. Fascinating, right? Do you know what they are? They're cedars and they're oaks. They're big, huge, honking trees. And Jesus chooses a mustard bush, God bless him, and he, though, still wants to use the same imagery. It's fascinating, right? See what Jesus is doing here? These huge trees that, of course, provide branches that are sturdy and cover for the birds of the air. Now I'm going to use this mustard seed. It's going to prevent this bush, and it's still going to do the very same thing as these massive trees, these powerful kingdoms. What is Jesus trying to tell us about the kingdom of God? It's going to be a very different kind of kingdom. (laughs) It's a kingdom that is not going to subject people by intimidation, by coercion, by force, but by love and by care, right? It's going to be improbable becomes undeniable. I'm so fascinated by this parable. That something so tiny could become something so big. They say mustard seeds, mustard plants can grow as big as three to four feet or sometimes even as big as eight to ten feet. I can't imagine it, but they say it's true. The other thing they say about mustard seeds and mustard plants is that uh, they grow pretty much anywhere. 
Another thing they say about mustard seeds and mustard plants is they keep reproducing themselves even without people having to sow more seeds. It's really a fascinating story about multiplication. And church, you may or may not know that one of our core values here, one of our key priorities at Hope is this idea of having a multiplication mindset. So we believe that that everything we have is meant to be shared, and we believe that everything we have is meant to be multiplied so that it can be used for God's glory as best as He sees fit. So I was praying through the Advent season as I was considering where it is that God would have us go in this new year as a church. Uh, Now that we're an accredited church and and we've kind of claimed this identity as a, as a family on mission together. Where is it then that this mission is taking us in this new year? And I, I kept wrestling through it. And, and finally, as I began to get a sense from God as, as to where he had us go, I, I really feel like what he said to me is, I want to see one-for-one one growth. I want to see one-for-one one growth in this church. I want to see one-for-one multiplication in this church. And so, friends, what I'm putting before you this morning is a vision for us to see us double our reality as a church, to see one-for-one growth. See, I think sometimes the word multiplication, it's really interesting and compelling, but it's a little bit overwhelming, right? Whoa. When I think about it, I'm like, gosh, how do you get from a church of 120 to 240, or how do we even get from 25 to 50? This is overwhelming, you know? But when I think, man, what is, how does it to go from one to two? I kind of I get that. It kind of makes sense, right? And so the initiative that I'm putting before you this morning, and that you'll hear us talk about time after time after time, is the vision that God has given us to see you multiply yourself. That at the end of this year, you'll be able to look across the aisle or look forward or look back and say, hey, that person is here part of this family because I multiplied myself. And this is not a vision that's just for us. It's a vision that's for them, right? The kids this morning, not coincidentally, but not by my plan, you know what lesson they're learning? They're learning about the crucifixion of Jesus. The very first mustard seed reality. And we want to see the same vigor in them to multiply themselves. Church, you understand, we have never been about growing to become a big church. We've never been about wanting to promote ourselves in terms of numbers. We're talking about wanting to see our family grow so that other people can understand the freedom and love that we felt in the gospel. Ultimately, we want to see new churches start where this can express, rather than us just getting really big or something like that. This is not a corporation, this is a family. But we're a family on mission. So John and and Jim, if you're here, I've got something for you guys. It's this tiny little vial with a cork on the top. And inside of it is a little mustard seed. And I want every one of you to have this. And I want you to put it somewhere where you see it often. Maybe carry it with you in your pocket. There's little brass eyelets that you can screw in and put on a chain and wear it if you're so compelled, or sit it on your desk or tape it to your mirror so that every time you see it, the first thing you think is one for one. What is God going to do with this mustard seed? So you guys, if you pass those out, that'd be fantastic. 
And when you get it, just hold it in your hand for a moment. Just everyone take one for yourself. I think there's going to be enough on the back table when you leave for you to grab some for your, for your kids as well or if you know someone who's not here. And then next week we're going to have a bunch more because we know there are plenty of people who weren't here this morning. Just hold this in your hand. Last night, as Rachel, mostly Rachel, but a little bit me, we're faithfully putting this little tiny thing in, in these glasses. <laughs> I was mesmerized. This is why Rachel was doing all the work. I was looking at it. I was totally blown away holding this in my hand that Jesus would use this little thing as an illustration of his kingdom. Right? Remarkable. And so as you hold it in your hand and, and move it around if you want or just kind of Stare at it. Here's what I want you to come to grips with this morning. In the same way that Jesus really was speaking about himself with this little seed, I also think he's speaking about you and about me. And I think he's saying that, hey, if you're willing to give your life then God has every intention to use it to do extraordinary things. Way beyond this one-for-one idea that we have this morning. Listen, no one's saying that giving your life means moving to Central Asia, like Megan did, or to Palestine, uh, or going to seminary to instead of become a pastor. It means where you are doing what you're currently doing. This is not adding anything new to your life. It means saying, hey, you know what? In everything that I'm already doing, my job, with my kids... Uh, with my friends, and the networks in which I am, what if I thought of myself as this mustard seed and said, you know what, this is pretty improbable. What am I going to do? But God takes the improbable and he does pretty undeniable things. He takes the ordinary and does extraordinary things. So I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning as you peer into this tiny little vial. The first is, do you believe that God can use your life? Do you believe that God can use your ordinary, simple... Many of you are much more prolific than me, so just think about me for a minute. Your ordinary, simple, basic, everyday life to do extraordinary things. And most of us are used to reading the stories of the Bible and thinking, whoa. Most of us are used to hearing stories from church history and thinking, oh my gosh. Or hearing someone share their testimony and think, wow. But the testimony that Jesus speaks is about this, not about that. And they started like this too. So do you believe that God can use your simple, basic, ordinary life as it exists now? No more additions, right? We're not talking about joining a new program, or starting a brand new thing. I'm talking about in your circles as it exists now. Do you believe that God can use it to do extraordinary things? Do you believe this can become the tallest of all garden plants? Do you believe this can become strong enough and sturdy enough that birds can nest on it? That you can be used to care for many people? And the second question, supposing you said yes, is this. Are you willing to be used? 
Are you willing to be buried in the dirt? That for a little while it might seem like nothing is coming of this. So that God can do extraordinary things through you. When I was young, someone used an illustration of throwing a rock into a pond, right? And you know the ripple effects that go all the way to the edge that anyone on the outside can see, but the rock never sees, right? The rock plummets to the bottom of the pond. Poor rock, never sees it. So some of the great things that God are going to do in your life because you say, I'll do it, are going to be things that you may never hear of, that you may never see, right? It's going to be things that grow on top of you. It's going to be things that your, that your grandkids do, things that your best friend does because you've spent time with them. You know, there, there, was, a, there was a guy, there's, there's a man who um, shared the gospel and had one person respond. But the one person was a guy named D.L. Moody who became a famous evangelist and had millions respond, well, maybe less than millions, but tons and tons and tons. Started with not Moody, but the first mustard seed. So will you allow yourself to be used? Is the one-for-one one thing I just shared, well, that's interesting, but I'm probably not going to do that. We'll let some other people do that. Or are you saying, no, you know what? Why not me? Why not? Trust me that God wants to do extraordinary things through you. You know, one of, the, one of the great complaints that I often hear in the church, and quite frankly, one of the great complaints that I often levy against God as a leader of the church, is that God seems to fail to act sometimes, right? Hey God, why don't you show up a little more? Why don't you do some, like, could you heal someone? Like, that would be a great testimony, right? Could, could you do something powerful? Could you? But you know one of the real, the, the, the most common realities of people in the church is that they give God no space to act. We wonder why he won't and we give him no possibility. Because we're off tending our own garden instead of saying, I'll be a seed that's buried in yours and I'll trust that you'll use me as the true gardener to do it. Friends, I think this is the challenge before us. And I stand before you as someone who is all in on this. This is not just something I'm asking you to do. This is something that Rachel and I are committed to, that Tyler and Jackson have bought into, that we want to see our family reach people. We want to see them reach people who are religious but don't understand the gospel. See them reach people who have never heard the gospel. I want to see them connect to people who love Jesus but really aren't plugged in to making something happen. And all of those realities count in the multiplying force of the kingdom. I was a terrible gardener, and God provided a bountiful harvest. One thing I am pretty decent at is math, and so I want to share with you some statistics as I finish this morning. If somehow God allowed me to be this wonderful, fascinating evangelist, And if we held enough events that every year a thousand people came to faith in Jesus, right? They believed Jesus. They weren't following Jesus. They believed Jesus. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? A thousand people a year would be astronomical. We're a church of around 120 people right now. And so if we added a thousand people because of this great evangelistic ministry, whether it was me or someone else, you know, after 15 years, there'd be 15,120 people astounding, wouldn't it? 
Can I tell you something? If you do the one-for-one challenge, after 15 years, do you know how many people will have been reached? Just a shade under 2 million. Do the math. 120 becomes 240. 240 becomes 480. Times 2 equals, 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 equals. 15 years, 1,966,080. This is why Jesus speaks in this language, right? This is why Jesus invested himself in a few rather than just keep having the big campaigns where he could add people, add people, add people. Because the kingdom of God is about the multiplying divinely enabled infusion of God's people into the soil so that life can come to the world around it.